greet each of you this afternoon again. And uh, I trust that, I hope and pray that each of us have desired and we wouldn't take it for granted that God would come here and speak to us this afternoon. God is under no obligation ever to do such a thing as that. But when there's, his children are gathered and we desire that, and we, we ask for it, we pray for it, we, we long to have him in our presence speaking to us, manifesting himself to us more and more. And I do believe, as each of you do, that he does hear that prayer, and he comes and, and he does speak to us those things that, that, of what we need, not necessarily as what we want to hear, but what we need. And uh, so I do, do hope and trust and Pray that each of us have had a prayer upon our heart here for this afternoon that, that, uh, that we would ask God to come and manifest himself again to us. I've opened here to the book of Psalms, and I have Psalm 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31 here. I'm going to read here from Psalm 29. Psalm 29, we'll begin here at verse 1. Given to the Lord, O ye mighty, given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Sarian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds the calf, and discovereth the forests, and in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people, the Lord will bless his people with peace. Sing here from 186. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before thee here this afternoon hour. Thankful, Father, that we can pray unto thee. Thankful, Father, that we can gather here around thy throne, that we can lift up our hearts unto thee, O God. And that, Father, that we can ask that maybe we could see thee a little clearer here in this afternoon, Father. Father, that our hearts could be quieted, that our minds could be quieted, and that, Father, that we could even be given a glimpse of Thee, O God, that we might worship Thee, Father, in truth and in spirit. For we know, Father, that is whom Thou art seeking after are those who will worship Thee in truth and spirit. I pray, Father, please come here into our midst. Please come here and speak to us, though we are not worthy, Father. Father, thou art by no means pressured into any group of people. Thou art not run by the clock. Thou art not run by a day. 
men cannot demand of thee, O God. And though we gather here at this time and we would have some order to our service, yet, O God, unless thou wouldst choose to be here in our midst, Father, we know it is in vain that we would gather. I pray, O God, in this afternoon that it would not be in vain. Father, that our hearts would be open to thee, that our hearts would be enlarged. O God, that our minds might be able to somehow comprehend a little bit more of who thou art, that our hearts might comprehend a little bit more, Father, of who thou art. O Father in heaven, that thy spirit would come and be our teacher. For what is man, O God? What does man know except the things that be of men, the things that be of man? But the Spirit of God, Father, he knows thee, and he can communicate to us those things that otherwise are hidden to us, things that we cannot in any wise know, O God, in our flesh. Things, Father, that we in our own sheer strength and determination and willpower can never find out about thee, O God, but only through the Spirit. We know, Father, that the flesh profiteth nothing, but the Spirit giveth life. We just pray, O God, that we might be in holiness here this afternoon hour before Thee. For we know, Lord, that is a prerequisite. If we are to worship Thee acceptably, we must do it in, in, in the Spirit. But, Father, we must also do it in holiness. We must have clean hands before Thee, O God. So I pray, Father, that Thou would not be mocked Thou would not be grieved by our gathering here, that there would not be hypocrisy here in our midst, that there would not be double-mindedness here in our midst, Father. But, O God, Thou who knowest the hearts of men, I pray, search the hearts that are gathered here before Thy throne. Father, put Thy finger there and conviction there, and then in all-knowing eyes, and then all-searching eyes that sees past the outer that we men see, but can see down there deep into the very deep places of the heart that cannot be hidden from Thee. Oh, Father, this is a wonderful thing to be able to come before Thee. We just pray, Lord, that our hearts now could be humbled before Thee, Father, and that we might truly worship Thee as Thou hast intended. Give us words, Lord, and give us thoughts. Keep our thoughts attentive to Thee. Lord, there's many distractions. Lord, we hear the the young little ones, and Father, they can be loud at times, but Lord, what a joy it is to have little ones here. It's a beautiful thing, Father, to have little ones here. To So often think, Father, how sad it is when a church doesn't have those noises. So Father, we praise Thee for these little ones that, that cry out and that that make noise. I pray, Lord, for the parents. It can be harder for them, Lord. I pray that there could be a blessing upon them, Father, in these times that they're raising them. And Lord, give us wisdom to raise our children in godly ways, those ways that please thee in the fear and admonition of the Lord. May thy blessing be upon us, Father. Father, we love thee. We thank thee. We just pray now, please. But we are not worthy in Jesus' name. Come into our midst, we pray, and ask all things in Christ's name, amen.
We've opened here to Acts chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 14. Acts 14, verse 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Why'd they do this? They saw something here that they hadn't seen before. They saw Paul speak to this man, and he said, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped up and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, They lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down unto us in the likeness of men. They had something there that they didn't understand. And natural enough, within their heart, they wanted to to worship. They wanted to do something about this. They saw something there that was unexplainable, and there was something deep within them that was crying out and said, "Uh, we got to do something about this. I believe that's God-given. I believe that's God-created. God put that into our hearts. And when we face and we come up against something that is unexplainable, that is greater than what we are, that is magnificent, that is powerful, that is bigger than us, there's something God-given to us within us that, that wants to worship, that has to worship, has to do something about that. They were doing it in ignorance. They pointed him to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Their, their darkened minds had become so darkened they didn't even know God anymore. They would have offered sacrifice to mere men. They thought that the power that they were doing this by was by mere man. But if we're going to worship God, we must worship him in holiness. And I wonder, as I think about this, We don't hear a lot of teaching about worship. And I've been kind of feeling lately my own lack of this. There's very poor teaching on it, the teaching that is out there. But I wonder if it's something that we know very much about. Given to the Lord the the glory due unto his name. 
Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I hope you bear with me here while I try to express this a little bit. What is worship? And when is the last time that you really, truly worship God? We say we gather together on Sunday to worship God, but I wonder how many times that's actually what we actually do. Or we go through the, the normal routine of singing songs, songs that, if you're like me, sometimes I don't even know what we're singing. Sometimes I catch myself singing things that if I would really read the words and pay attention to, I'd maybe have to stop singing in order to remain truthful, in order to remain honest. Have you ever found yourself there where you're singing a song and it's not actually how you feel at all? You're singing it heartless, you're singing it cold, your heart's so far removed from that. That's not worship. That's not worship. There's that woman that was there, at that Samaritan woman, if I recall the story right, and she was surprised that a Jew who happened to be the Lord was talking to her there. And, he, and she said, how is it that you being a Jew, you're speaking to me, I'm just a Samaritan woman. The Lord talked to her there a little bit. He asked water from her, and that's, that's what she said. You know, why are you asking water for me? And he said to her, if I remember the story correctly, he said, woman, he said, if you would have known who's, asked us, who's asking of water from you, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living waters. And then they, discord, they, they discussed a few more things there, but she said, you know, she went to know from him, I perceive that you're a prophet. And she said, tell me, the Samaritans say that in such a place is where we ought to worship God, but the Jews say it's in a different place. And he said, woman, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, woman, believe me that the time is coming when they're not going to worship here or there. But he told her there, he said, those that worship the Lord must worship him in truth and, and spirit. In spirit and truth. I'm, I'm doing a poor job of paraphrasing that. In spirit and in truth, we must worship the Lord. Not mechanically, not tinny. I think sometimes our, our worship becomes kind of tinny. Kind of sounds like brass. God's wanting us to worship him in truth and in spirit. And here it says, in the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You can't worship the Lord if your hands are unclean. You can't worship the Lord if there's something in your mind that's troubling you, something that's in your heart that's troubling you. You can't worship the Lord. It taints it, it clouds it, it makes it ineffective, it doesn't get up off the ground, it doesn't get past the lips that it comes out of, it falls to the ground, it doesn't ascend heavenward when there's hypocrisy in our heart, 
when we're trying to put on show or trying to say that we're something that we're not, and oh, God, great and mighty, and yet we're unclean in our hearts, it falls straight to the ground. It never gets up out, out of there. God doesn't receive that kind of worship. God doesn't receive that kind of praise from the hypocrites, from those who profess to have clean hands, and yet they're defiled. And other men, though they don't know it, though they don't suspect it, they don't know what goes on in the closets. And there in the closets, there's uncleanness. And in the closets, there's dirtiness. And in the closets, there's something that's not right before God. And that kind of worship will never get up off the ground. Though it sounds ever so beautiful and pretty. If we're fake to our brethren, then we're fake to the Lord. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And God searches the hearts and knows the hearts of each of us here. And there's some of us here, I'm afraid, may go to hell because we've never repented of our sins. Never followed the Lord's prescription for what God has demanded and required in order for there to be a true conversion. And there's possibly here among us those that will go to hell and spend an eternity of damnation in the, the fires of hell because they've never repented of their sins. And there are some here that may very likely go to hell, not because they've never repented of their sins, not because they've never actually been converted, but because they've played the role of a hypocrite, because they've put themselves forward as something that they actually, after all, are not. They've deceived their fellow man, but they've never deceived. They will never deceive God. And there will be possibly, I hope and pray not, there may possibly be some of us here that will go to hell because of that. But I also... believe that there are those here who are in a place who can worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness because they're actually clean before God. They're actually right before God. They stand in peace with their creator, the one who created the heavens and the earth. They can lift up holy hands unto God and they can praise Him and they can worship Him. These heathens back here, we read about in Acts, they came up against something there and their heart needed to worship. They really did. They came up against something there that was unexplainable. It was miraculous. It was something powerful. It was something they'd never seen before. And something within them cried out, we must do sacrifice. We must worship. I want to try... If you'll follow me here, my thoughts are going a couple different places. Where did they point them? They said, God, turn from these vanities, these sacrifices that they were going to offer up. Turn from these vanities, 
unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. We go back here to Psalm 29. It says, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. I could go back there to Genesis, and it said there that the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. God created the heaven and the earth, and the, the, the earth was out form. It was void, and there was darkness covered the face of the earth. And God said. God's voice spoke. God said, let there be light. And there was light. This word of God, this voice of God, this God that we read of there in Acts that created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's therein. And John, it tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. God moved upon the waters of the deep. That was, the earth was out form, and God was there, and he spoke, and it was so. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. God said... And it was so. God said, and it was so. And when we start thinking about that, I hope I don't lose you here. If we start thinking about that, God said, and it was so. You know, to this very day, men really don't understand light. But I want to go back a little bit further. There's a lot of things that men don't understand. It says there in John where we just read, it says, In the beginning, I visited with my wife just last night. You know, every one of us in this room have a beginning. Every one of us here have a birthday. And every one of us here will have an end, if the Lord should tarry. We all have birthdays, and we all had mothers that had birthdays, and we all had fathers that had birthdays, and we all had grandfathers and great-grandfathers and patriarchs on back that all had beginnings. And then we think about God that never had a beginning. Going back and going back and going back, and there was never a beginning to God. Now you can't get your mind around that. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how long you sit there. I don't care how long you go home for after this message and I would encourage you to do it. You go home and you think about that. That God Almighty never had a beginning and you'll never be able to get your mind around that. Sit down. You'll never be able to get your mind around that. You'll never be able to get there and hear that and, and get your mind to where you can grasp that. Think about it. God has no beginning. Never a beginning. It's impossible for us, it's impossible for us 
to grasp that which we've never seen. We can't do it. I could ask you, I could say, Jason, sit down and draw me out something that I've never seen before. I want you to come up with something entirely new. We could all sit at it. We could all grab a piece of paper. We could sit down and we could start drawing out something. And I want to come up with something entirely new that I've never, and I can't even trace it to anything. I can't even say, well, you know, that's similar. I see what you've done here. I see that you've taken this from this animal. I see that you've taken this from this object over here. I see that you've combined it together. And now you've formed something there that I've never seen before. I don't know what it is, but you've still borrowed it. You've still borrowed it from things that you've known. It's absolutely impossible for any one of us here to create anything new. It's impossible. We can't do it. It doesn't matter what, how, how extravagant of a mythological creature you can think of. You think of what the Greeks came up with, and they came up with some really, really odd, weird things. You see goats walk around with, or people walk around with the legs of a goat and the goat's ears, and, and you think, well, what kind of mythical creature was that that they came up with that? But they didn't come up with anything new. They just simply borrowed from what they knew here of a man and what they knew of a goat, and they put the two together and came up with some mythological creature. They didn't, they didn't create anything new. There's never been anything made that was not made except that what came from God. But here, God is in the very beginning. No one created God. No one began. There was never a time where God was not. There was never a beginning where, where we could go back and say far enough back and God was not there. No, God goes on and on and on and on, and, and infinitely so. You'll never get to the end of it until your mind just hurts and it aches, and still you won't be there. God had no beginning. And it doesn't matter how long you sit there and think about that. But I want to encourage you to go home and think about that. Just think about that one thing. And when you get to the point when your mind is staggered, when your mind feels like it just simply blinks out, when you can almost physically feel nauseous because you've went back that far and you still aren't even, and you realize you're not even, and you come up against that wall and you hit that wall and your mind literally can go no further, that's when you're getting close to worship. That's when you're getting close to saying, oh, my God. You could go the other way with it. You could go the other way with it and go into eternity. Eternity that never ends. God has no beginning and God has no end. And you can run with that thing the whole other way as far as you possibly want to go. Until your mind hurts. And you go out further, and you go out further, and you go out further, and then you take that further, that furthest distance you can possibly imagine. That light, as I said last week, travels 186,000 miles a second, and you multiply that out there millions of years, and I, my mind can't get out that far. Maybe your mind can get out that far, but you take all that down and you condense it down to the size of a grain of sand, and then you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and so just the tiniest little layer goes over that sand is, and, that, and, and goes on and on and on and on until your mind just hurts. 
As someone once wrote, they said, if you take a piece of paper and you take it infinitely, every direction you can possibly think, you go north, you go south, you go east, you go west, infinitely in every direction, every way you turn, and there's paper going infinitely in all directions, you take a one-inch line, you just take your pencil and you put a little dash there. That little dash represents time. And God fills that little dash of time. And God goes into all the infinitude of all everything else that's around there, and you can't get your mind around that. And you go off infinitely into eternity, and you can't get your mind around that. And it's in that kind of a moment, when you're sitting there and you're meditating upon the greatness of our God, we start getting close to worship. We start getting close to adoration. We start getting close to, my soul magnifies my God. How many men like to do that? Not very many. Not very many men worship God these days. Not many men find their, their, their substance and their, their thrill in being able to sit down and meditate. It hurts our brains too much. It hurts our minds too much. We're so lazy spiritually. Our, our, our brains are so fat and slobby, and we, don't hardly, we can't hardly get our mind. It's, it's kind of like trying to push up against a big old boulder. It's a mountain that's never going to be moved. And you try to think about God for a minute. You try to think about God for 10 minutes. You try to sit there and meditate on God there for an hour in your quiet time in your closet. And you start pushing up against him. And you, it doesn't take long until you're utterly, completely exhausted. Your mind can't do it. It starts going off on rabbit trails, thinking down things that, why am I even thinking about this? It's because you're weak. Your mind's weak. It's lazy. You haven't exercised it. You haven't pushed up there against God. You haven't pushed it. You'll never move him. You'll never move that, that mountain. But it's really good to push against it. It's really good to think about it. Because it's in that kind of a moment, I believe we start to worship. Does that make any sense? I preach on these things. And like I said last week, I, I see the, the glassed over looks. I think, am I making any sense? If you could have, I tell you, I tell you this, if you could come to understand the beauty of worship and you go home and you find yourself in your closet, if you ever find yourself in those moments, you'll seek for it every single day. And the fact that sometimes there's glossed over looks tells me that it's not been experienced. Like it could be. Like it could be had. God wants us to come. It's not worship him on Sundays. It's worship him every single day of the week. Do you know you have as much of God as what you want? You have as much of God as what you want. If you come to God with a thimble, that's all you'll walk away with. Do you understand he's inexhaustible? He, you cannot, he is boundless. You have as much of him as what you want. If you will open your heart, if you will open your mind, if you will seek to purge out everything unclean, everything that's standing in the way, God will come up against that thing in your life and he'll say, I will not go past that because there's something there that is unclean and I will not stand in that. But if you seek to remove that and push that out of the way and God, let God take that away from you, God will come and God will fill you. If you open your mouth, he as a good father will come and fill it. We have as much of God as what we want. But the reason we do not go home and meditate upon God is because it hurts our brains. It hurts our minds. We can't get it. And God says we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do we know what that means? I challenge you. Do you know what that means? Do we know what that means to worship God in spirit and in truth? Paul says God created the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's therein. John said the same thing there. 
John said the same thing. John said, all things were made by him. All things were made by him. Boggles my mind. Think about it. Meditate on it. If you want to worship God, go home and think about that. All things were made by him. I could hand you a piece of paper. I could say, come up with something here. I want something new. There God was before never created. From the, there was no beginning to him. And he created my brain. They tell me, as I said, they tell me that's the most complicated thing known to man is the brain. These really smart people are trying to map it out. They're figuring out that we have as many, as many neurons in our brain as there are stars in our galaxy. And there's, there's trillions upon trillions upon trillions of neuro connections in there, all working at the same time. Our brain is processing things at such a rapid pace. It, it boggles our minds. I tell you, think about it. Go home and meditate upon it. God created all things. You could never, you could never possibly sit there having had no experience with a brain, having never thought of a brain, having no one ever told you about a brain. There's no possible way you could sit at your desk and come up with a brain. You couldn't come up with a fly. You couldn't come up with the simplest thing that we take for granted. You, you wouldn't be able to do it. It's why it's so hard for us when we talk Thursday night and we say, you know, I've never seen this done before. We were talking about finance, and we say, you know, it's really hard because we've never seen it done before. As men, we, we cannot grasp what we have not seen. Their God is never created, never had a beginning, and out of his, his greatness creates everything. You stop and think about that, and then you want to worship in that place where you can't understand God. It's in that place where you can't get your mind around him, when you can't fathom his greatness, you can't fathom his beginning, and you can't fathom that there's no end. You can't fathom how wonderful and how great he is when you start considering the trees and you consider the eyes. You know how complicated the eye is? Just look it up. And if that doesn't cause us to worship, we're cold, we're dead. There's something wrong with us. We're stony. I think that's what worship is. I think worship is when we come to that place and we have awe and adoration. And God has become so great and so big and so magnificent and so immense and so tremendous that our hearts are overwhelmed and Kind of like those people back here, we say, we've got to do something about this. We've got to express this somehow, and then we sing. And then we sing, and then we pray, and we fellowship, and we cry out how great and mighty our God is. That's worship. It's not worship when we sit down here and we go through and we sing three songs together. It's pretty. I enjoy it. I like it. I don't want to get rid of it. 
but I don't think it always qualifies as worship before God. I, I think he's worthy of more than that. I think it's when our hearts are so full of him, so longing for him, so enraptured by the thought of him, and our hands are clean, and we're in the spirit, that then we can really truly worship God. And that's pleasing to him. It says he's seeking those kinds of people. Seeking those kinds of people. So when are we going to do it? I think some of you might find it's, it's, it's going to be pretty hard for you. You're going to find it pretty hard to be able to press into the presence of God and worship him as he desires to be worshiped. Because I hope the dawning revelation comes upon you that you're not clean. If you're not clean, you're not going to be able to worship God. Some of you might need to come to that revelation. You wonder, where's God at? Why can't I feel that? Why can't I worship him? Why can't I get into his presence? Why can't I? Because you're dirty. There's something there that's not right. It needs to be confessed. It needs to be brought to light. But I hope that the majority of us here, I hope all of us here, can go home And we long for that, not today, not just tomorrow, but we start realizing that this is is what God desires for us each and every day, for us to come and be in his presence, to worship him every single day, to be so dazzled, to be so staggered, to be so overwhelmed by the greatness of our God. That's the living relationship here that God is wanting to have with each of us, that he's inviting us into. But I know, as well as some of you, that some of you are not in that place to be able to do that. If you don't find the joy of worshiping God in this life, it will not be found in the next. I guarantee you that. I've heard it said, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And men talk about all the pretty things that they think they're going to get. And all it really does, you know what it really does? All it really does is show how carnal of a heart they actually have. Because they talk about all the material things that they're going to have there in heaven. All the, the glorious mansion that they're going to have. And I don't want to undermine that mansion that God's preparing for us. I don't think it's going to be anything like what we're picturing. But sometimes when men talk about heaven, it only shows how truly carnal they actually are. That They've never been in the presence of God to actually worship him. Because if they had, they would realize that heaven is going to be being in the presence of God. And being able to worship him for all of eternity, learning something new every moment, every, every, every bit of eternity is going to be finding out something we didn't know about God before, and we will worship him. If you don't enjoy that here on this earth, you're not going to enjoy it in the life to come, and I don't think you're going to be there. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Dear ones, give unto the Lord the glory that is due unto his name. He purchased you at a cost, shed his blood, gave up his life 
at a great cost. There is glory that is due unto his name. Don't you know that the only reason that he's created all that we see here is for his glory and for his pleasure? Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness.